Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Before we jump into our Sunday Psalm, which this morning will be Psalm 103, so you can go ahead and be finding that. But before we get there, we do want to recognize someone. Miss Janice Moore is retiring as our ministry assistant. Janice, go ahead and make your way up here. She is retiring after 17 plus years here at Beaver Dam as one of our ministry assistants. So if you would give her a hand. I won't make you come all the way up, but on behalf of the uh, church and the personnel committee, we got you a little gift and say thank you for your years of service. We will miss her in the office, but trust she will enjoy this next phase of her life, even as I heard Tim Hopkins say this morning that he is enjoying his. Psalm 103 is a psalm of worship. One of the most frustrating aspects of parenting, and this aspect of parenting is true regardless of the age of the child as long as they are still living at home, is a lack of appreciation for all their parents do for them. Now, toddlers can be excused here because they do not have the mentality to understand what is going on and to appreciate what they have received. But older kids and teenagers have no such excuse. And yet it is their common attitude. They simply do not realize the blessings that they have and therefore those blessings that they continue to receive. Instead, they often feel very entitled and not only do not understand what they've received, but they always are looking for more. They have taken these things for granted. And so parents look forward to the day when their children get a taste of the real world and hopefully at some point in the future come back and say, Mom and Dad, I had no idea all of the things you did for me, and I just want to say thanks. Now again, we as parents don't live for this moment or we don't parent for this moment rather we want this to happen because it is a sign of maturity for them to come back to us and say i now realize all you did for me and i want to say thanks is a sign of maturity on their part that they have come to recognize the benefits that they have received but perhaps we ought to turn the tables just a little bit and realize that in a spiritual sense Most of us are like those entitled teenagers, always expecting more without realizing and appreciating those things that we are already blessed with. It is natural for us to think about what we don't have, to compare ourselves with others and what they do have, or to focus so much on our pain and our struggles that we find ourselves constantly complaining rather than giving praise. 
Now, I am not saying that, the, that God is then frustrated with us, but I am saying that we often forget the blessings and the benefits that God has given us, and as a result, we do not return to Him the praise and worship that is due. We return this morning to another Psalm of David, though in this case we do not know the setting or anything in particular that precipitated the writing of this Psalm. We do know without a doubt that it is a psalm of worship or a psalm of praise. In fact, as we read it, you're going to be familiar with several of the lines here. The theme is very obvious because this psalm is wrapped in what is called an inclusio, which means that the psalm begins and ends with the same phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. You find that at the beginning of verse 1, and you find it at the end of verse 2. 22. But while that phrase is one of the most well-known lines in the Psalms, it perhaps needs to be retranslated just a little bit for our own benefit. And the reason is this. When we use the word bless, we tend to think of asking for something. That is, we want God to bless us with something. But that is not what David is doing in this psalm. He is not asking God for a blessing. Rather, he is praising God for the blessings or benefits that he has already received. And so in many ways, we ought to translate this, praise the Lord, O my soul, or worship the Lord, O my soul, which is why I'm calling this a psalm of worship. But of course, even that word is not without its issues. Whether we use the word praise or worship, we tend to associate it with a style of music within the church. Or we tend to associate that word with what Aaron does on our behalf. That is, he is the minister of worship, and he stands up here on Sunday mornings, and he calls us to participate in worship. And while we ought to respond to that call, that is not the way I'm using the word this morning. Worship or praise is not primarily a response to the worship leader inviting us to join. It is instead a response to the acts of God. That is, the psalmist sees what God has done in his life, and the natural response is praise or worship. And so David is going to catalog many of the acts of God as he expresses his praise. In fact, this one psalm touches on many of the great theological truths that are essential to our faith. So a psalm of worship, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty one who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We're going to divide this psalm up into three sections. The first is what I'm calling the personal worship of David and ultimately the personal worship of ourselves. You will notice that the first portion of this psalm is not written to the Israelites, nor is it written against his enemies. Rather, David is talking to himself. And by the way, that's not a crazy thing to do. Sometimes we think that if we see someone talking to themselves that they're out of their minds. I talk to myself all the time, which you might say proves the point. But it is okay to talk to ourselves. In fact, it is a good thing when done right through the Word of God. In this world of falsehood and lies, we need to regularly be speaking wisdom and truth to ourselves as it flows from God's Word. I also want to make sure you understand that by personal worship, I do not mean private. Our society is very individualistic, and I hesitated to even use this phrase as my first point because my fear was if we use the phrase personal or private worship, you might think that it is that kind of worship that is separated from everybody else and that is not primarily what I am talking about. I am talking about the fact that you and I must personally worship, but that is not to be divorced from the worship of the people of God. You see, the opposite is also true. It is quite possible, maybe even probable, that you can come to worship this morning with the people of God, and yet you yourselves not personally worship. And that's an equally difficult thing. David begins by calling himself to praise or bless the Lord. Perhaps he is in a difficult season of life. Again, we do not know the setting behind this. Maybe he is disappointed or in despair. Perhaps you are. And there are ample reasons this year for that to be true. We've all missed so much of what we had planned and looked forward to doing this year. I mean, if you think back to those New Year's resolutions or those New Year's goals that you made for 2020, I dare say the vast majority of them are long forgotten. Not in the usual sense that we don't fulfill them, 
but in the sense that this year has been turned upside down. Perhaps you're going through a difficult family time and you just can't muster the energy nor the desire to worship God. Then this psalm is for you. In fact, this psalm is a psalm for all ages, appropriate for all people and applicable for all conditions. Because frankly, there are times when we have more doubt than we do faith. There are times in our lives when there is more disappointment than there is praise. And yes, there are even times in our lives when we are more angry at God than we care to worship Him. Philip Yancey, who is not one of my favorite authors, wrote a book many years ago entitled Disappointment with God. He got a lot of feedback from that particular title and the contents of the book because it resonated with so many people. Because so many people are not in a moment of time where they are spontaneously praising God. Rather, because of life's circumstances, they are disappointed with God. And if that describes you, do not despair. Rather, hear the message of this psalm. So David is addressing his soul, and you will remember that that was our topic last week. Last week was a psalm of the soul. And we defined soul, not technically, because I know there are more technical definitions, but we define soul as, as our innermost self, the wholeness of who we are, or in essence, our spiritual life. And so David here is talking about a wholehearted worship. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, a wholehearted devotion and worship of God. He knows that this is not to be half-hearted nor superficial, which is why he goes on to say, with all that is within me. Or as we read in Deuteronomy, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. You know, frankly, sometimes we come to church, but we don't bring our whole being. Sometimes we leave our mind elsewhere. Your mind might be elsewhere now. I have no idea what you're thinking about. And so you might have come to church out of tradition, and yet your mind is elsewhere. Your feet might have brought you to church. Your lips and your mouth might have sung praises to God a few moments ago, but that is not necessarily the case that you are here wholeheartedly worshiping God. Authentic worship is what David is talking about here. And by that, I do not mean merely a weekly worship service, though that is part of it. I mean a life of worship, not the external rituals per se, but a life devoted internally to a right relationship with God, which then is lived out daily. So you say, okay, how do we do that? How can we praise and worship the, the Lord personally, daily, and wholeheartedly? Well, verse 2 gives us the key. Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me, and do not forget his benefits. We used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. And the way that's worded here makes it clear that we are prone to forget. It is our tendency to forget the benefits of God rather than to praise Him for it. 
I've said this before, but I am regularly reminded of this. There are days when I might be a little discouraged, days when I might be down, but pre-COVID, when I went to make a visit to a assisted living facility or a hospital or when the hospice facility was open and I would go in there and I would see someone whose condition is clearly much worse than my own and oftentimes it wasn't just the patient but it was the family sitting around and all that they were going through, I often left there convicted of the fact that my life is not nearly as bad as I was making it out to be and there are people who are in far worse circumstances than my own. I get the same feeling sometimes when I read a book about World War II. I mean, I think about this generation and all that we're blessed with, and yet we are often not satisfied, and yet you read those books of some of the previous generations and all they went through, and you realize, you know, we have it pretty good. Forget not his benefits. The bulk of this psalm is taken up with reasons to praise God, counting his benefits and remembering them and therefore worshiping and praising God as the natural response to those acts. It is true that we sometimes forget the Israelites were warned. God told the Israelites that there was a real possibility that after he delivered them from Egypt and he planted them in the promised land, that then when they prospered, that they would forget God. And you say to yourself, do you mean to tell me that the Israelites, after God miraculously, and you can go back and read that, all the miracles that God used to bring them out of Egypt, do you mean that after all of those miracles, delivering them out of Egypt and putting them in a land that they did not own, that someone else was in, and then prospering them in that land, that they would forget God? And we're no Old Testament scholars, but we know the outcome. That is indeed what happened. Time and time again, they forgot God's benefits. And I don't think it's stretching to say that that's exactly what many of us have done personally and certainly what we've done as a nation. So I think it's a fair warning to us that if we fail to worship and praise, we are indeed forgetting his benefits. When you start a new job, isn't that one of the questions you ask? What are the benefits? How much vacation time am I going to get? How much sick time can I earn? What is my insurance package and my retirement program? In fact, it is not uncommon in our day to hear people say, I am working for the benefits, which means that one of the spouses involved in a relationship has a job where they are keeping that job primarily so that the family can have insurance. So what are the benefits of a relationship with God that then leads us to worship? Well, the first is found there in verse 3, and it is the first and the most important. It is God's forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins, not only in verse 3, but in verses 10 through 12 as well. Not some sins, but all sins, past, present, and future. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is not only the greatest gift, but it is the gift that we most need. You will remember that we've already looked at a psalm of forgiveness, Psalm 32. David's psalm of confession was Psalm 51 after his sin of adultery and the consequences with Bathsheba. But Psalm 32 is the, is the psalm where he is rejoicing in the forgiveness of God and therefore teaching others as a result. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning going over again the idea of forgiveness. 
as long as you will note that we should never get over this, that God in Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins is a tremendous blessing which should lead us to continual worship. Now, the second half of verse 3 is a little harder for us to understand. Is David saying that we can be assured that God will heal us of every disease? Our prayer earlier by uh, our missionary talked about healing. He didn't even know what I was preaching this morning. And so he prayed about healing, reminding us that God is a God who heals. But is verse 3 a statement, a promise that God will heal all of our diseases? Well, I'm afraid we know by experience that that can't possibly be the right interpretation. Yes, God is a God who heals, but there is no promise that he will always heal of every disease we have. So therefore, some believe that David is still talking here about spiritual healing, that this is another way for him to speak of the forgiveness of sins. And we know that in Hebrew poetry, that is common. That is, the first line will make a statement, and the second line will repeat that statement using different terminology. So that is a possibility here. Or it is possible that David is praising God for a healing that he personally experienced in the past without making a promise that God will always heal of every disease in the future. This kind of verse is clearly one that we must be careful with lest we give false hope and great discouragement arises when healing does not occur. I do not have to tell you that all of us are going to die of some sickness or illness eventually unless Christ returns first. And so this does not mean that we will always be healed of everything. In fact, we're going to talk in a few moments about our own mortality. Now, frankly, if we stopped here, number one, you would be pleased. And number two, there would be enough benefits for us to continually praise God for the rest of our lives. If it is just the forgiveness of sins, then we have been given far more than we deserve. So much so that if you are disappointed with God, and again, we've acknowledged that all of us at times are, but if you find yourself this morning disappointed with God as a forgiven believer, disappointment or even anger with God is a sure sign that you have forgotten his benefits and forgotten what we deserve. We deserve judgment. That's it. But we've been given forgiveness. Which leads us to say with David, bless the Lord, oh my soul. But while that is more than enough, it is not all there is, for David goes on to talk about much more. God's redemption comes next. This is a rich biblical and theological word. In the Old Testament, a close family member would redeem their family member from multiple things. They would redeem them from debt. That is, if they had gotten into debt, they would, they would buy them back from that. They would pay off their debt. They would buy them back from slavery if they found themselves in that situation. And they would even redeem them from the loss of a spouse. That is, if, if the spouse died and there was no children, the nearest brother would take that wife to be his own and redeem her so that the line of his brother would not go out. That's what the story of Boaz and Ruth is all about. Boaz, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And I dare say that Ruth never forgot what Boaz did for her. 
This word redeemer can mean one of two things. Spiritually, he can be talking about his salvation, just another way of talking about the forgiveness of sins and picturing it as truly a rescue from God from the very brink of death. Or he could be talking physically here, that he had at one point been near death from one disease or another, and yet God had restored him to health. And again, as we mentioned earlier, you will recall that in the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus combined these two things. He would very often heal someone of their physical disease while also healing them of the spiritual sickness of sin. So God's redemption. Then we go, we go on to remember God's characteristics, some of his attributes. Verse 4, he showers us with steadfast love and mercy. That word, that word steadfast love is another rich Old Testament word that is very difficult for us to translate into the English. And therefore, a lot of commentators don't even translate it. They just transliterate it. If you read their commentaries, it won't say steadfast love. It'll say hesed, H-E-S-E-D. That's a transliteration of the Hebrew word. In fact, when I put that in my notes, my Apple computer kept, kept changing it to hosed. And I kept saying, I don't want hosed, I want hesed. It means, it means something that we have a hard time translating into one English word. Because even our word love does not communicate what the Hebrew word means there. And so we have steadfast love as a way of reminding us that it is not just love, but it is love that always remains. And we are showered with this or we are crowned with this. That's another word we don't use a lot other than pageants. But this means giving dignity or honor. God is giving us honor by pouring, by crowning us with his steadfast love. Verse 5, we find God's satisfaction. Again, we talked about this briefly last week when we talked about the seeking soul, then finding the soul is satisfied when we seek God. And yet last week I failed to use a very popular song to illustrate this. So I'm going to remedy that this morning. The Rolling Stones. Some of you already know the song. I can't get no satisfaction. The grammar beside, the Rolling Stones were saying, though they tried and they tried and they tried, they could not get any satisfaction. Now, one of the problems with using a song is, number one, some of you may not know that song, and so you don't know what I'm talking about. But more than likely, the other problem is, you know that song so well that it's going to be running over your head for the rest of the sermon. So I hope that's not the case. But later on today, when that song is stuck in your head, this is an opportunity to do what David is doing here. I want you to speak. I want you to preach into your own soul. When you hear the song, I can't get no satisfaction, you need to respond and say, oh, yes, I can. Because I am satisfied in Christ the problem with the Rolling Stones was they were looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. And the Bible tells us we can find satisfaction because God is the one who satisfies us, resulting in the renewal of our strength. The picturing of, a, of an eagle soaring is a beautiful description of a life soaring with God. And to this day, if you and I happen to see an eagle in the wild, not Dollywood, an eagle in the wild... We still stop and we marvel at this majestic creature soaring above us. You might think of the more popular verses in Isaiah chapter 40. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There are many good things, and this is going to differ from person to person, but there are many good things for which this general description is given here. And yet studies consistently show us that in spite of all of the good things that God has done for us, we are not satisfied. So turn your gaze back to God and remember the good that he has done. Verse 6, God's justice is the next benefit listed. God's work on behalf of those who are oppressed by others, oppressed by others. And again, I realize that we could question this based on examples that we see in our own lives and in our own country. And certainly this is a hot button, if not the hot button issue of our day. We look around and we say, is there really justice for all in our judicial system? And because we question that, it is a short leap to question whether or not there is justice with God. After all, if God is sovereign and God is just, why doesn't God step in immediately and bring justice? And we have to remind ourselves that we are looking at this from our own time and in our own perspective, not from an all-knowing God who is over all eternity. But the truth remains that God is a just God. And then we see God's revelation, a reminder that the acts of God are known. God revealed himself to Moses and the children of Israel. This, again, is in all likelihood a reference to the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from slavery. That was the seminal event in the life of Israel where they always went back. They always looked back and said in their moments of crisis and distress, we can look back at that time and know that God is a God of love and a God of power because he delivered us from Egypt. Now, you and I don't do that. We don't go back to Egypt. We don't look back at the Old Testament and see that. We look back to the cross. We look back to that as our seminal event in our lives where we look back and say God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the more we think about that and all the other revelation that we are privy to, we will praise him. You notice throughout this psalm that David's praise is informed by his knowledge of God. And this comes from, his own, from God's own revelation of himself, a benefit that should guide us as well. Well, all of that is the first point, sadly, which means I'm going to have to hurry for points two and three. Uh, you know I have a tendency to do this, spend most of my time on the first point, and then have to rush through the rest. But we started with personal worship, and secondly, we moved to community worship. You notice in verse nine and following that the pronouns begin to change. There we find the, the collective. David uses the word us or we or they that fear him, those that fear him. Thus, he's now talking about the community of faith and our responsibility as a body to worship the Lord. Now, I could have used the word corporate as I've done in the past, but I don't want to confine this to one church or to one body of believers. David is simply saying that all believers are to worship God. And again, that is because there are many reasons to do so. So what are the reasons? Well, in verses 8 through 12, perhaps the best-known part of this psalm, he talks about God's character. These verses are very similar to how God revealed himself to Moses the second time Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Some have already been stated, but there's certainly no harm in reiterating them. Compassionate and gracious, not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what we do not deserve, which is mercy and grace. Slow to anger. Notice it does not say that God does not get angry. 
But it said God is slow to anger. And because of that, he will not discipline us forever because his loving kindness is all over us. Verses 9 through 12 is an expansion of the benefits where we began, the forgiveness of sins. He has not dealt with us as we deserve. That is based on our sins. Instead, his love is beyond measure. As high as the heavens is a way of expressing that his love is immeasurable. His forgiveness as far as the east is from the west is a way of expressing that his forgiveness is immeasurable. The east and west never come together and they are the farthest points away that one can imagine. Again, another aspect of God's character is his compassion like an earthly father. Earthly fathers ought to be a picture of our heavenly fathers. And while I recognize that that is not always the case, sometimes drastically so, a loving earthly father does show compassion to his children. And if they recognize it accordingly, they will see there a picture of their heavenly father. But there is a second reason why we are to worship as a community, not only because of God's character, but secondly, because of man's mortality. It is necessary to know and worship God because we are frail and needy. We cannot make it without him. Now, I know we don't like to think in those terms. In fact, we don't like to think of our mortality at all. We prefer to think of our strength, especially when we're young. We prefer to think of our independence. We don't need anyone else to help us along. We can do just fine on our own. That's what the old phrase means, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a phrase that means I don't need anyone else's help. I can do it on my own. And while we might need to rephrase that because we don't wear boots a lot now, so you might want to say, pull yourselves up by your flip-flops, <laughs> neither one of those things is accurate, nor is it biblical, because we do not have the strength to pull ourselves up and go through this life on our own. That is why when we think about our weakness and even in our own mortality, it is not designed to depress us. Rather, it is designed to point us toward God. The Bible is clear that our life is passing and transitory, like the grass that flowers and then is gone. In fact, you will not like this, but the psalm says not only that our lives, is, our lives are like that, that is, they are for a moment and then they're gone, but when they are gone, they are usually not remembered, at least not by many, and at least not for long. And we don't like this because we live in a day in which we're, we're telling everybody we want to leave a legacy. Younger generations are steeped in the idea that they are going to change the world. And granted, there are a few who will, but the vast majority will not. And I am not trying to squash your dreams. I'm just giving you a biblical perspective that the psalmist gives us in verse 16. And this biblical perspective is, again, not to depress us nor to make us apathetic, but to drive us to the God who can give us immortality through Jesus Christ. So we've looked at personal worship and we've looked at communal worship, and this psalm ends with universal worship. And by that, I mean that all are called upon to worship the Lord. And now we know that not all will do that, but the call is out there. And the call is a witness. That is, worship leads to witness. When you and I see the acts of God and we worship him personally and, and community-wide, it is natural for us to want others to join in along with us. And so our time is drawing near, and I do not have the time to go through these last few verses, but you notice the universal scope here. 
the hosts, that is another word for the, the angelic beings, the, the angels that are with God in heaven, not the fallen ones. They are with him, and they are hearing him, and they are praising him. Creation then is invited along with us and the angels to praise God. The unmistakable truth from this psalm is that every believer, regardless of your current or past circumstances, have more than enough reason to praise and worship the Lord. I know you're tempted to think, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I've had a tough road, tougher than most. And that might be true. I'm not debating that. I'm simply saying that regardless of your path in life, if you're a believer who's been forgiven by God, you've experienced and received all of the other blessings that we've talked about this morning, so the command is still for you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget his benefits. The forgiveness of sins which makes salvation possible is the greatest of these. So again, just as the Israelites look back to their deliverance from Egypt, we are to turn our eyes back to Calvary and see there once again a God demonstrating his love for us, dying in our place, and by his power reconciling us who were enemies of God to a relationship with him. Now, I know that's not easy. I know we spend our days watching and reading news, which is 90% at least negative and discouraging, And as a result, it's no wonder that our minds and thoughts turn negative and we begin to question God. Or worse, we begin to doubt or even become angry with God. That is one of the reasons Sunday is so important. Because Sunday is the day that we reboot. You know, when your computer gets stuck and you have to reboot it, that's what Sunday is. We get all of that bad news all week long. And we come here on Sunday to reboot and see the real realities of life. And the real realities are not all of the circumstances that we're enduring, but the real realities are a God who loves us, who lavishes us with his steadfast love, and who has forgiven us and bestowed upon us all these other blessings so that we cry, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your benefits that are lavished upon us. And we pray you would forgive us for taking these benefits for granted. I pray today that we've been reminded of them. And I pray that as we leave and go throughout our work, we'll be reminded of them again and again. And so we will pause to bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.